You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Our reading this morning is from the same letter that we sang from. This is Philippians. Uh, We sang from chapter 2, but we'll read from chapter 4. This is on page 1180, if you have one of these red uh, church Bibles. And I'll read from verse 2. Now remember, the author here is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing not from the comfort of a palace or a hotel, but he's writing from a prison cell. And this is his conclusion to this great letter. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, When I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. As we were reading that chapter, there were two statements that stand out made by Paul. One concerned himself, and another concerns us. He's making a personal commitment or a personal statement about what the Lord has done for him. But he is also making a powerful commitment to his audience and to us as to what God can do for us. And with you this morning, I'd like to look at these two statements. Verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's personal. It's personal to Paul. And when you use the word I, it becomes personal to you. I can't speak for you, and you can't speak for me. We each must speak for ourselves. But can we echo these words? Can we, along with Paul, say, I can do everything through him who gives me strength? And the second statement, which is equally striking and amazing, is verse 9. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I'm not sure what your situation is this morning, what your needs might be, what your concerns might be. But maybe here is your point of contact with the living God because you're coming into the presence of one who not only knows everything, but who has everything and can do everything. So today, if we need confidence, if we need encouragement, we have it here in abundance, personal and collective. But you notice the Apostle Paul doesn't simply make these statements without a context. And that's why it's important to read a good chunk of the Bible or a good chunk of the scripture to see what the context is. Because as we're looking at this passage together, Paul reminds himself and his audience that character matters. How you live matters. Our lifestyle matters. What we say matters. What we do. What we think. So if you're a Christian this morning, your Christian character matters. And in order to have confidence that Paul has, there has to be an evidence of Christianity or or Christ in you and in me. And we see this in in verse 4, where Paul begins, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. There's joy in the Christian life. And it's a constant joy. No matter what your circumstances might be. Whether you are on the mountaintop today, or you're in a deep valley. Whether you're filled with joy and happiness, whether you're filled with sadness and sorrow. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ... There should be joy in your heart and joy in your life. And that's really one of the great touchstones, one of the great hallmarks of the Christian. Joy that isn't dependent upon circumstances. Oh yes, we cry when we're sad, but that doesn't mean there's no joy. Because we realize that our relationship with Jesus transcends this world. That we are not limited by the limitations of life or the world of ourselves so there's joy but notice too there's gentleness verse 5 let your gentleness be evident to all 
the Lord is near. And you notice in each of these statements, the Apostle Paul is linking character and Christ. He says, be joyful, yes, in the Lord. And he speaks of gentleness. Why? Because the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So the character is not just spoken. The character isn't internal, but somehow the character of the Christian is obvious. It should be obvious that we know Jesus. It should be obvious that we love Jesus. It should be obvious that Jesus dwells in our heart by faith, by how we live, by how we speak, by how we act, and how we react. So there's joy and there's gentleness. And in verse 6, we're told that there's a lack of anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. And whenever the Bible says don't, the Bible almost, almost without exception will say do. So the Bible says don't be anxious. Paul says don't be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, and there's a balance in the Christian life. Yes, there are certain actions and, and uh, certain actions and certain mindsets and certain reactions that are out. But we don't just live a life as a, in a vacuum where we have a list of things we don't say, don't do, don't think. But everything that is out is replaced with something new that is in. So Paul says the anxiety of life, the fears of life, which are real. He says instead of those fears, he says replace them with prayer. No matter what the circumstance might be, because we're told in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So you see, the apostle is building up this character of the Christian. Not of the super-Christian, the extraordinary Christian, but the ordinary believer in Jesus Christ, just like you and just like me. If your faith is in Jesus, we might think of ourselves as ordinary, but the grace of Jesus Christ makes us extraordinary. So there's joy and gentleness, there's prayerfulness, there's thanksgiving. And in verse 7, we're told that the peace of God, which transcends, it means it exceeds, it, over, it, 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 it overcomes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our hearts and minds, that's the center of our being. If there's something wrong with our mind, if there's something wrong with our heart, there's something wrong with us. But if our heart is strong, if our mind is safe, then we can be secure. We can be fearless. We can be bold. We can be confident because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, much of this will seem inaccessible, impossible. You'll say, well, I can't possibly be joyful at all times. I can't possibly always be gentle. I can't always be prayerful or thanks thankful. But a relationship with Jesus changes you from the inside out. Not just the inside, but changes the inside so that the outside looks different. So that we speak in a different way and live by a different standard. And Paul continues with his character, and he now focuses on the mind. He focuses on the thoughts. He focuses upon what you dwell on, because what you dwell on here will somehow find an expression here in your life. He says, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. The Bible is not a book of negatives. The Bible is not a book that is constantly condemning. Paul is saying, take whatever is good in this world. Take whatever is right. Take whatever is, is pure. Take whatever is holy and fill your mind and fill your heart with these things. And lo and behold, you'll be different. You'll think and act and live differently. And Paul is able to say, you have seen it in me. Not only am I telling you, but I've shown you. The Christian should always practice what they preach. Should always live what they commend to others. You see, your Christian witness, you might have all the words, you might have all the knowledge, you might have a great foundation in the truth, but Paul is able to say, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, his words and his actions, his ministry and his lifestyle are consistent. And that's the challenge for the Christian to have a character of consistency. A consistent relationship with Jesus, a consistent lifestyle, a consistent focus of mind, a consistent life of prayer, a consistent joy, and a consistent gentleness. So Paul is saying character matters. Your character, your relationship with Jesus matters. The words you speak, the lives you live. So character but he goes on to speak of foundation. He speaks about contentment. He goes on in verse 10. He says, basically, thanks. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your concern. If you take a step back, we remember that Paul is sitting in a prison cell. He's not able to do for himself. So he's expressing his gratitude for this church, the Philippian church, for their kindness. And if you remember that Philippi is in the region of Macedonia, and if you remember back to 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is commending the Macedonian churches because they are generous churches. They are generous with their money. They are, they are liberal with their giving, but the irony is that they are generous and poor. Doesn't make sense, does it? How can, a, how can somebody be generous if they don't have much? How can somebody give liberally if they have nothing or next to nothing to give? Well, he's saying the Macedonian churches, of which Philippi was one, is a great demonstration of the grace of God. The grace of God can make poor people rich, can make poor people generous, the grace of God changes us. And Paul says that you can be content in a prison cell. You can be generous when you're poor. These, these contradictory ideas, these contradictory uh, statements make sense when you factor the gospel in. One of the great writers um, uh, in the United States in the early U.S. history was a man called Ben Franklin. And he was often, he often created these aphorisms or these sayings, um, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. That was one of his. But another one of his statements was, content makes poor men rich, and discontent makes rich men poor. Paul is saying this in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, 
for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That's contentment. If I have a lot, I can be content. If I have a little, I can be content. If I'm comfortable, I can be content. If I'm uncomfortable, I can be content. That's the secret. He says, this is what I've learned. I've learned that my contentment in life does not depend on circumstances. Have you learned that lesson as a Christian? Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Love is not dependent on circumstances. Christian contentment, Christian service is not dependent upon circumstances. If you're waiting for the right time to serve, when you've got plenty of time and plenty of spare energy and plenty of spare money, and you say, when that time comes, then I'll serve, that time will never come. Opportunity will never arise. And very often in the church, you'll find that the most active are the most busy. Those who have so much to do otherwise, they're the ones that are giving. They're the ones that are serving. They're the ones that are involved. Again, it's a saying that I heard here. If you want something done, give it to a busy person. Why? Because that's what they do. They get things done. Somebody that's sitting waiting to do things is probably sitting and waiting for a reason because they don't want to do things. They don't have the initiative. They don't have the desire. They don't have the energy. They don't have the enthusiasm. So there's contentment here. Contentment making a rich man can make a poor man rich. A discontent can make a, a rich man poor. Are you content as a Christian? Do you live your life saying, if only, if only I was a bit richer, if only I was a bit younger, if only I was a bit older, if only I was promoted at work, if only I could get that higher degree at university, if only I was married if you're single, and if only I was single if you were married. Do you have a contentment with where God has placed you? Because where God has placed you is for a reason. God doesn't make mistakes. He placed Paul in a prison cell deliberately. He's placing you here this morning in St. Peter's Free Church deliberately. He's placing you in your home on purpose. He's placed you in your place of work, not by chance, but by plan. Have you learned this lesson that Paul is saying? That character and contentment are absolutely critical to your Christian life, to your Christian witness, and to the confidence that you have as a Christian. When I conduct weddings, thankfully I'm still in the situation where I conduct more weddings than funerals. That's a good thing for a minister. I have very few criteria for, or very few qualifications when, I, when I'm meeting a couple. But one thing is absolutely critical. I sit down, speak with them, whether they're young, whether they're old, and I say, here are the vows you're going to take. And we go through the vows. And the vows are quite good. Because in the the vows that, that we use, it's something along the lines of, you know, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, until God shall separate you by death. You're making a promise that is unconditional. These 
young, this young couple who are deeply in love are not saying to each other, if you're healthy and if we're rich and if the times are good, then I'm going to be your wife and then I'm going to be your husband. No, they're saying, come what may. So there's an unconditional element to that promise, to that vow. And that reflects very vividly our relationship with Jesus Christ. Come what may. I'd prefer richer, and I'd prefer better, and I'd prefer healthier. But if God, you have in store for me poorer, sicker, and worse, come what may, I will continue to trust, I will continue to believe, and I will continue to serve. As a preacher, as a minister, I prefer praise. I prefer good feedback. I prefer smiles. I prefer thank you. But if I'm going to be content in my service, come me. Whether the feedback is good or not, whether there's appreciation or not, that if told me to serve, I will serve regardless of the reaction, regardless of my personal circumstances. Contentment. And that's where Paul makes his first commitment. Paul in verse 13 says, in the background of Christian character and Christian commitment, he, uh, and Christian contentment, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Are there any Christians here who can't do anything? Who aren't good at anything? who aren't gifted in any particular area, and you say to yourself, I wish I could say that, but I can't. I would suggest that verse 13 here is not simply the statement of one Christian written 2,000 years ago, but is a statement that is true for every Christian in every age and in every situation. Because Paul is not saying, I can do everything. If he was saying that, That would be completely the opposite of the character and of the contentment that he was just speaking of. If you say to me, I can do everything, well, I would suggest that you can't, but I would also suggest that you've lost perspective because the Christian is not arrogant. The Christian is not boastful. The Christian doesn't say, look how great I am, but the follower of Jesus says, look how great Jesus is and look what Jesus can do through someone like me. Look what Jesus can do in my life. And look what Jesus can enable me to do in his service. I can do everything through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Personal commitment. Personal confidence. Do you have that personal commitment to Jesus Christ? Do you have that personal confidence in Jesus Christ? And therefore, are you energized to serve him no matter what? You might not be the most gifted. You might not be the most talented. You might not have the great eloquence or the great intellectual skills. But if God has placed you where you are and you are asked a question, it does no good to say, well, I wish you were asking somebody else because God has placed you there and God has given you that opportunity. And God can enable you to be confident that you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength, that you can speak that you can serve, that you can witness, that you can comfort, that you can encourage, that you can open your homes or flats in hospitality, that you can serve those within the church and serve those outside the church. Because Paul says, I can do everything. The response could easily be, Paul, you can't. 
This is obviously false, Paul, because you're sitting in a prison cell. You can't get out of that prison cell. You can't go where you want to go. You can't go on these great journeys. You can't plant churches. You can't lead evangelistic campaigns. So verse 13 is patently untrue. And yet it is true. Because Paul is content that in the prison cell, he can do whatever God wants him to do. He can speak to whomever God wants him to speak, whether to the many or to the few. Circumstance does not matter. Your individual situation doesn't matter. Because God has gifted you uniquely. You have unique and personal abilities, personal gifts, and personal aptitudes that God has given you. So can you say with Paul, I can do everything through him who gives me strength? It might not be much. Your best days may have passed. Your most energetic days may be in the past. That may be very well true. Circumstances might be conspiring against your service, but nonetheless... Whether you can do a lot or do a little, whether you can speak to many or to few, can you say, I can do everything through him who gives me strength? That's the first commitment. Then Paul goes on to say, again, he's saying to the Macedonian churches, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your concern. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for your persistent care and concern. Isn't this a reminder that as a church, we are a community, we are a a gathering of God's people, and we are called to mirror what we see in the Bible. When we see examples of good practice, we are to put them into, into practice ourselves. And this church in Philippi was a consistently generous, caring church. Other churches weren't interested Other churches weren't bothered. Other churches didn't make that effort, but they did. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. St. Peter's is a place where we gather on a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, sing, pray, read the Bible, hear about God's work in different places, hear about God's word. But is this church more than that? Is this a community that is more than two hours on a Sunday? There are fellowships, there are gatherings, there's support, there's encouragement. But here's a model of a church that's working. Not perfectly, but a church that Paul is commending. They care. They're concerned. They're interested. They put their money where their mouth is. They give even though they don't have much to give. And Paul says, I'm not looking for anything but I'm looking for what might be verse 17 to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received the gifts from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then Paul makes his second remarkable statement. In verse 17, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. In Christ Jesus. We sing in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Apostle Paul says here, my God. Can you use that language yourself? Do you look upon God as your God? Do you look upon Jesus as your Savior? Do you use these personal possessive pronouns to take personal possession of the gospel? 
of Jesus Christ, of God? Do you look upon God distantly and remotely as some impersonal force? Or do you look upon God as your God who helps you, guides you, directs you, leads you, forgives you, cleanses you, strengthens you, equips you? Because that's the relationship that Paul is speaking of here. God is his God. Jesus is his Savior. There's a personal connection with the living God. And you notice verse 13 and verse 19 are interrelated. You can't say verse 19 until you first can say verse 13. You can't share something that you yourself don't have. Reminded of an example, a good friend of mine, one of the first families that I met who were Christians many, many years ago. I didn't know they were Christians. I thought they were religious. Why did I think they were religious? Because at the beginning of every meal, they said grace. And I thought that was quite unusual because in our house, we said grace twice a year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. This family, every meal, they said grace. They even held hands. quite like a Walton's event. But, um, but I remember Greg, the, the middle son in that family, he was telling me that as he was growing up, he would go to church and he would read the Bible, but his relationship with God was not what he would describe as vibrant. He went on a weekend away, like this church has a weekend away, and a lot of churches have a weekend away, and the theme was sharing your faith. And he came back with this little book that says how to give your faith away. And he showed it to his mother. And his mother said, that's great, Greg, but you don't have any faith to give away. You can't give something that you don't have. You can't share something that isn't yours. So the Apostle Paul has a living relationship with Jesus Christ, and his relationship is such that he knows God, and he knows who God is, and he knows what God is like, and he knows what God is able to do. So your relationship with Jesus Christ is personal, but your relationship with Jesus Christ finds an expression within a community called church, but even more than that, Your relationship with Jesus should overflow this community because you have confidence, knowing what God has done for you, that he can do for others. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There's an important contrast here between you and me and God. We are exhaustible. You might be exhausted, but we are, ex- we are not infinite. We are not eternal. What we have is limited. So, for example, if you're into exercise, if you expend energy, you run 10 miles tomorrow, I would suggest that you'll be tired. You might be exhausted. You, you might be, you know, it depends on how fit you are. But every bit of energy that you expend, you don't have that left to expend. And same with money. If I were to give you 100 pounds, that's good for you, but that's 100 pounds less than I have. You know, I don't have an infinite supply of money, so anything that I give is something that I no longer have. Not so with God. God is inexhaustible. That means that he gives without getting poorer. That means that he expends energy without getting tired. So God can give and give and give. God can act. God can intervene. God is not limited by time, by circumstance, by anything that limits us. So Paul can say to this audience of whom he is separated, he doesn't know what their needs are. 
He doesn't know the problems that they're facing. And today, I don't know what your needs are. But I can tell you about God. And I can tell you that God is so big that no matter what your needs are, he's bigger. I can tell you that he is so wise that whatever your problems are, he can solve them. I can tell you that he is so powerful that no matter what your opposition, your opponents, your challenges, your difficulties are, he can overcome them. And I can tell you with Paul that no matter what your debts might be, no matter what your problems may be, that he can all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. His riches are infinite. They are eternal, inexhaustible. So God gives and God keeps on giving. Small example of this. hundred years ago, Henry Ford, founder of Ford Motor Company, relatively wealthy man, he was visiting Ireland and there was an appeal. There was an orphanage and the wealthy people of the day were asked to contribute to the orphanage and Ford contributed 2,000 pounds. hundred years ago, 2,000 pounds is a lot of money. It's still a lot of money. Then it was a lot of money. But the newspaper printed the headline, Ford gives 20,000 pounds to the orphanage. The editor of the, 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 the head of the, the, uh, the, the orphanage came to Ford and said, look, I'm so sorry, there's a mistake. The paper said 20,000, you gave 2,000. I will make sure that the paper prints a retraction and an apology. To which Ford replied, don't, you don't need to worry about that. And he wrote a check for 18,000 pounds. Why? Because for him, 2,000, 20,000 didn't matter. He had that amount of money, so that difference for us is a big difference. For him, it was no difference whatever. Now, God has infinite reserves, infinite wealth, infinite power, infinite wisdom. So whatever your need is today, if you are plugged into God, if you're trusting in God, then all of those resources are at your disposal. That you not only can receive all that you need, but what's more, you can help others. You can point others in his direction. You can show others the way only if you yourself have taken the way. You can't point someone in a direction. You can't give someone wisdom. You can't give someone advice if you yourself have not taken it. So Paul says, here's my God. Let me tell you what he does for me. And let me tell you what he does for you. Do you have this confidence in Jesus? Do you have this contentment in Christ? And are you evidencing this character in your life? Because only in this way can you take advantage of all that God wants to do in you and all that God wants to do through you. His power, his wisdom, his resources. In our power, our wisdom, our resources are finite. You and I need God. We need him each day. We need him today. This world needs God. They don't know it. They may never have heard it. They might not be introduced to him, but they need God. And maybe you are God's person tomorrow who will witness, who will point people in the direction, and who can in some way echo these words of Paul. My God can meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me And let me tell you what Jesus can do for you. This confidence and this contentment and this character can be found nowhere apart from a living relationship with Jesus Christ.
you don't yet know him, trust him for yourself. And if you do know him, have this confidence to say to yourself and to say to others, what a great God and what a great Savior. Our God is so big and our God is so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your power. And we ask, O Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us for whatever lies ahead. You know each one of us. You know our individual needs. And you know this city. You know its people. You know those who are struggling. You know those who are in trouble. We ask, O Lord, that you would be near to us and to them. Hear us, O Lord, we pray. Pour out your mercy, your grace, your love, your goodness upon us. And may we, like the Philippian church, be caring, kind, compassionate, interested, and persevering. As we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.